And I believe that when we combine the exploration of our broken hearts with service to those who need us, or as Joseph Campbell said, joyfully participating in the sorrows of the world, if we can do that, then we are going to find ourselves. We are going to discover our true self. Welcome to another episode of the Work Life Hub podcast. Each week, we bring you an inspiring guest to help you discover the new world of work and learn how your organization can reach its full potential. Thank you for tuning in and spending some time with us today. To find out more about the Work Life Hub, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to the listeners of another episode of the Work Life Hub podcast. This is your host, Agnes Uheretsky, and today it is such a great pleasure to be joined from Springfield, Missouri by Sean Askinozzi. Hi, Sean. Hi, how are you? So, so great to have you on. I will let Sean introduce himself and talk about himself in just a minute. But as a way of introduction, um, Sean is the founder and the CEO of Askinozi Chocolate. And we're going to be talking about the business philosophy and the values of this company in a short while. And he's also the author of a book, a business book, which parts philosophy book, I would say, is called Meaningful Work, A Quest to Do Great Business, Find Your Calling and Feed Your Soul. It came out last November 2017. It's available on Amazon. And both the book and also Sean's work and and ethos and values philosophy have been featured on numerous podcasts and also in the New York Times and Oprah. So I'm really, really thrilled that Sean took the time to to be here with us today. So before we get going, may I ask you, Sean, to tell listeners, even though it's going to be, you know, just a short conversation and I feel this sense of frustration because we have, you know, five hours worth of things to discuss here. But um, if I could ask you, Sean, to tell listeners a little bit about yourself, about what drives you, your passion... Sure, of course. Well, first, thanks for having me here. And I I really appreciate this opportunity and chance to speak with you and your listeners. And um, about me is I was a criminal defense lawyer here in the United States uh, for about 20 years. I specialized in really serious felony cases where people could uh, either receive life in prison or the death penalty. And I was a defense lawyer. And I loved that work, um, loved the courtroom. And I did that for, as I said, almost 20 years and until I stopped loving it. And I think many of your listeners can probably relate to that. All of it, you, you, you're in a job, you feel it's your calling, you believe in many ways that it, is, it isn't even work. And then one day uh, something either happens or you begin to feel a drudgery. And for me, it was like almost a feeling in my body that was telling me, that I needed to move on, that my work was finished here, and I needed to find another passion, another inspiration. And that was the real challenge for me. Uh, And it was a five-year path of real um, challenge and struggle um, to get to my next passion, my next inspiration, uh, which is now chocolate. Now, you have captured this story in beautiful detail in in the book. And and it's really heartfelt and very, very authentic. And 
one of the the aspects that I was quite surprising for me reading the book, and that's why my introduction said it's part business, part philosophy book, because you also spend considerable time with Trappist monks and retreat regularly to, to a monastery where you live and, and take active part in that community. So um, did this uh, spiritual support or or this um, uh, this community, did, did, do you think that it had had a big part to play in you taking this decision? And I'm only asking because I think most of the listeners would agree that there are a lot of people who experience the same as you do, that they have a chosen career and then after a while, you know, it's no longer the rush, it's no longer the passion, it's just going through the motions, but they stay there. Mm-hmm. Well, the Assumption Abbey, which is, a, as you said, a Trappist monastery here in Missouri, um, in a, about 3,000, surrounded by 3,000 acres of national forest. Yes, I've been going there now for about 18 years, and I would say that um, the, in many ways, the Abbey has been a center point in my spiritual life and my spiritual development as an adult, and and in really sort of given me a a kind of compass over these years of how I can um, develop a a greater union with God, resting in God's presence, as uh, I believe contemplation really is, and these are contemplative monks. And so my spiritual director, who is uh, an 86-year-old Catholic priest that I write about in the book, he's a monk and been a monk since 1952, has really... Um, helped me in many of these paths along the way. But one thing I think that, um, as you said, Agnes, that really is important to consider here is when we are struggling with our current job and we think that we might be um, receiving messages that we are um, called to change path, to change direction, to move someplace else, we have to really have a deep sense of discernment about whether or not it is um, that this is a a momentary kind of challenge um, to our spirit, and do we need to really emphasize the virtue of stability? And stability is one of the hallmarks of monastic life, and not just Catholic monasticism, but in all monastic traditions, stability is very, very important. And what that means is what you would think it means. It means that when we're tempted by the the, the things that often appear in our peripheral vision, um, we're tempted to move to those things. They're attractive and they're new, but stability says... No, I will practice this discipline of staying put, of, of surviving the challenges. And so I think it's very important, especially in this age of technology, where we're faced with what seem like just a plethora of opportunities. And they're all available to us on the Internet in the form of the Google search box. And so this paradox of choice is ever-present with us. And I think it's really important to say to ourselves and to find trusted advisors who can help us decide in in the spirit of wisdom, do we stay and practice stability or do we go? And for me, it was go. And I it was part of a spiritual path that is continues to this day. 
it's it's really really interesting to read and you, you write in a really personal way and and really share it very authentically and and i think that what really spoke to me was this notion of of looking inside because as you say we are you know new parents google how to bathe a baby and we can google any recipe and immediately turn to the internet and and this broader global community to find answers but when it's about your calling your vocation as you describe it in the book it's it's most helpful when we look inside and i think it's maybe a, an art or a practice that we're almost forgetting I think you're so right. I think you're so right. And and this is, um, I tell people, you know, you're not going to find the answer to your question in my book. And I hope my publisher doesn't hear this podcast because I know that doesn't sell books. Now, I wouldn't mind if people read a few sentences or maybe a paragraph and perhaps they'll uh, see uh, some inspiration and they'll put the book down and they'll begin to take action. You know, we, uh, I read a lot of books on meditation, but it doesn't make me a better meditator. Um, and, and so, you know, we have so many books and so much information available to us. But as you said, this practice of looking inside the practice of really searching within our own spirit um, and 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 hopefully discovering, as Thomas Merton said, our true self. You know that cannot be done. The, the the discovery of our true self, of our soul that God created us to be, is not found in a book or on the internet. It's found inside us, and that, as you say, is a practice that is slowly slipping away. Uh, um, oddly enough, with the more information and technology and availability of what seem to be answers, but the answers are within us. Now, of course, books and podcasts and these things can trigger us. They can point us in that direction, but they can't take us there. And so I believe that we're in this age in which we really need to double down on seeking out um, wise masters, elders, teachers, and trying to put some of these things into actual daily practice. That's a challenge. Absolutely. And in, in, in your um, experience, and, and I know you write about this in the book, that people were really maybe surprised or shocked or really questioning your choices, perhaps making fun, you know, going from a criminal uh, attorney to, to a chocolatier. But I think that there are, I mean, life is, is really long in a sense. And, and, and um, you know, we live longer and, and this hundred year life is, is perhaps just around the corner. So people really deserve to be in a job or do a work that they find um, they love, that they're passionate about, they feel they can serve. So it, what would be your, your philosophy in this? So it, as you said, I liked when you touched upon this paradox. So there's this monastic service of, of you know, you write about it, how these monks, they choose actually work that allows them contemplative work. So almost a kind of a prayer with rhythm. So it used to be uh, bricks and now it's uh, um, fruitcake in Belgium. We have a lot of <laughs> a lot of these monasteries making wonderful cheese and beer. 
Um, so there's this stability and, and devotion to your craft or the change. So if people are have really come to terms on and saying, okay, I, I think I really need a change, then then what is your advice in, in your experience? What is the path to do there or the thing to do? I think um, there's in my book, as you said, um, I I write about this path of change and path of discovery that I took. And so I'm not suggesting that this is a prescription and somehow the solution. It's one person's story. But I wrote it in a way that I hope other people can see themselves. I mean, not everybody is going to be a you know, criminal defense lawyer and then decide to be a chocolate maker. But the, but the hope is that I've written this in a way that other people can find some kinship to the story. And so I suggest that people, first of all, stop Googling the, you know, stop, stop Googling and, and thinking that that's going to provide the answer to what they should do next. And then there's this practical sense of, you know, what is the intersection of my skill set, my talents, uh, what the world needs and my passion. And we just write this out. We just start making lists. And and then this is the real um, sort of challenge, uh, if you will. And that is I ask people to examine their own broken hearts, otherwise known as sorrow. Uh, I believe that the answers to our future to our calling, to our vocation, are found and lie within the depths of our broken heart. And so I ask people to go on a discovery and a path to see where that leads them. Where is it that their own hearts are broken? And, um, and it's within that broken heart that people can then find joy. I quote poet philosopher Khalil Gibran in the book who's, who's, who famously said that our greatest joy in life is our sorrow unmasked. And I believe that in the depths of my being and have found it to be true in, in my life. And so I ask people, you know, where is your sorrow? Where does it hurt? And let's explore that and sit with it and not push it under the rug and where will that lead us? And I hope that it leads us to a place of service. And I believe that when we combine the exploration of our broken hearts with service to those who need us, or as Joseph Campbell said, joyfully participating in the sorrows of the world, if we can do that, then we are going to find ourselves. We're, we are going to discover our true self. Gandhi said, if you want to find yourself, lose yourself in the service of others. Christ said something similar. Other philosophers have, have said similar things. And I believe this is true. And I think that this, this path is one way that we can find um, relief, we can find joy, discovery, and we'll find it within our work. I... I have to say that um, reading the book and, and listening to you, I don't know if you have thought about this, but but to me there are also clear parallels to entrepreneurship and, and being an entrepreneur because 
I've never felt so exposed and naked <laughs> in my whole life than, you know, starting a business because you really have to dig down into your strengths and your your weaknesses, your your limiting beliefs, your your pain is is going to come to the surface very quickly and you're going to be confronted with them very very quickly and you either manage to you know go there go to that painful place and say okay what is it that stops me from selling my services or speaking in public or writing these great articles or putting myself out there so there is a, a kind of a spiritual self-reflection I think also in in entrepreneurship or starting new and 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 trying to um, bring your whole self to the world and not zip up some kind of ideal person persona at work for example where you know we're still getting away with with letting people just being you know pretending to be this or that business woman and I hope you understand what what I'm getting here (laughs) Yeah, I think I do. I, 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 I believe, I, I, of course, agree with you. I think that the, the practice of entrepreneurship is a very um, spiritual endeavor. And I think that entrepreneurs or those who are entrepreneurs at heart, which includes a lot of people, um, have a special almost uh, affinity for facing, confronting, and discovering what lies beyond the pain and suffering in our own lives. And I think one really important facet of this is that we not only recognize the pain in our own lives, but that we're willing to roll up our sleeves and be present with those around us who are also suffering and in pain. And I I think there's a, a very, very powerful experience of our own discovery when we're willing to be present with those around us who are also suffering and in pain in whatever it may be. And I, I think that's really, in many ways, our purpose here on earth. It's our, for all of us, for all of human beings. It's part of, as Jean Vanier says, becoming human. And um, I think that when, we're, when we recognize this calling and we respond to it, then we find uh, joy within ourselves that we've never experienced before. And it's not a destination either. It's a practice. This is something that we repeat over and over and over again, and we're not perfect at it. We make mistakes, and, and we, but we pick ourselves up and, and look again around us for those who, who might need us. Absolutely. And... Maybe that takes me to another question that I was really burning to ask you, um, and that's to do with um, how you run your company, Askinosi Chocolate, and, and, and the business ethos and philosophy and values. Because, you know, on the podcast and in general, we're always engaged in this debate or discussion about the future of work which is shaped by digitalization and, and globalization, but still a very technology-driven perspective and growth-driven perspective. But, you know, listening to you, reading your book and, and some other thought leaders out there, um, I really believe that there is another kind of business revolution out there, which is much more 
spiritual, much more purpose-driven, which is about service, which is about sustainability. So I really would like to ask you to share with listeners maybe some of the, the values and, and, and the ways you have been able to translate this also to your business with the farmers and, the, and everything that you do at, at Askinosi Chocolate. The uh, the overarching vocation for us is to make the best tasting direct trade chocolate in the world that we can possibly make. And we source our cocoa beans from very small groups of farmers in Tanzania, Amazon, Ecuador, and the Philippines. Two of the four farmer groups are led by women. Uh, my daughter, uh, Lauren, who's my co-author in the book, has really educated me and the rest of our company on the importance of supporting women entrepreneurs. But I would say that that the, the, that vocation of making great tasting chocolate is supported by two other vocations within the company. And those are working directly with farmers around the world and engaging with students in our own community here in Springfield, Missouri, in our program called Chocolate University. So those students can understand that business can be a solution to social problems in the world and that there's a world beyond Springfield, Missouri. And so it, with that, and there's a lot of programs that we have from elementary school all the way through high school. In our high school student program, we take these local students to Tanzania every other year to meet cocoa farmers and to experience overwhelming hospitality of these uh, farmers in Tanzania and hopefully experience a, um, a transformation in their own lives. And so what's, what I say about this is, yes, we're – you know, we're feeding about a thousand kids a day. Last year it was two thousand kids a day between Tanzania and the Philippines. We've had this school lunch program for eight years now, and um, and and we profit share with farmers. We pay them directly. We publish on our website what we pay farmers and how we pay them and who we pay and and uh, list every single bean transaction and the finances behind it for the last eleven years. But but I would say the the thing that I would focus on as it relates to our business is that we don't separate this notion of service or compassion in one department and then the profit-making part of the company in another department. There's no corporate social responsibility department in my company. And I firmly believe that one of the things we will experience in the next 10 to 50 years is the, the sort of diffusion of corporate so social responsibility departments throughout the entire organization of companies, small and large. And the reason I think so is part of this notion that you said that I agree with, which is we're experiencing in, in many ways a revolution of capitalism. And it's being forced upon us. It's forced upon us because as owners and entrepreneurs, we recognize around the world that employees according to the surveys, are not engaged in work. That is, they're not enthused about what they do. They don't really care about what they do. So what's going to happen? Our products will suffer. Our services will suffer. Our economies will suffer. The world will suffer. And so what will come from that is what we're seeing now. We're seeing these, these um, things pop up around the world where people are trying to focus on something other than top line sales or or the bottom line, and what what I believe it will will help uh, really be a catalyst for this is the disbursement of 
charitable giving and philanthropy throughout the entire organization so that it's not this sort of dualistic notion of charity over here, profit making over there, and never the twain shall meet. I believe that that's wrong. Why? Because in my case, in my company, the way we are as people, how we behave, who we are, is inextricably related to the product that we make. It's, it's bound up so tightly in the product that we make that it, it would be impossible to untangle them and to separate them so much so that if I gave my cocoa beans and my recipe to somebody down the street and said, hey, here, here, go make this chocolate bar, it wouldn't be the same chocolate bar. And I'm not saying that in some new age sort of way. I'm saying in truth, who we are and, and how we treat people is inseparable from our product or service. And I, I, well, let's talk Khalil Gibran again. I love that guy. He said that if we bake a bread with indifference, we bake a bitter bread that feeds but half man's hunger. And that's true for bread, for chocolate, for consulting services. It doesn't matter. And, and so we must, we must find ways to engage employees in their work. And one of the ways I believe we do that is by, just mixing it all up together, our service, our humanity, our compassion, our charity, and our kinship with the people around us. And I, I think that's one of the ways we're going to solve this and move on to a greater joy in our lives and meaningful work. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And it's so really, really inspiring listening to you um, sharing this. And, and one more um, notion that I wanted to maybe just present to you and see what you think of that is I'm, I'm quite fascinated also with this idea of abundance and scarcity and you know we society is um, leading us to believe that we need to seek abundance in money and wealth and material things yet we have so much scarcity on uh, you know our natural resources but at the other side we have you know, an abundance of, of, of goodwill as well. And and I just really enjoyed reading, you know, the parts in your in your book about monastic life and about, you know, how the monks produce just enough and, and not, you know, seek out this overproduction or, or these large quantities and, and, and growth uh, incessantly. But also then how that translates to your, to your approach to... To the cocoa bean farmers and and how you you think that it could be you know that there could be generated some kind of scarcity there for them to be able to hike their prices and so i just really liked how you put this you know scientific management or 80s 90s management business practices on, on the head and and looking at what do we need a lot of you know service and kindness and caring and and what we actually don't need a lot of, and that's, you know, noise and technology and, and money as well. The, uh, one of the, the great questions that are asked by monastics around the world is, what is sufficient? As you said, how much is enough? And in particular, the rule of Benedict, which has been 
the governing management document for monasteries all over the world for the last 1,500 years, uh, that is Benedictine or Catholic monasteries around the world and in your country, right, where you're speaking from. (laughs) And and they're the ones who brought us this idea. And so it's, it's really, in many ways, the first question that I think we need to ask as leaders, as entrepreneurs, um, and that is just how much is enough? And that, and that can be anything. It could be how much is enough money, how much is enough sales, how much is enough um, Instagram followers. Um, you know, what, what, what is enough and what do I want? What, what is it that I'm seeking? And I think if we can answer those two very basic questions – I think that they will they will they will really um, serve us well when we have to make decision after decision after decision, because otherwise it's this sort of unleashed um, hunger that can never be satisfied if we don't answer those questions. And the result is what we see now, where we have in America this thing after our Thanksgiving holiday called Black Friday, where people go shopping. And there's actually a website in the United States that tracks how many people die on Black Friday shopping because they've been trampled by other people trying to get a better price for fill-in-the-blank product. And that is sad. And, And so what I'm asking of people and you know we only have 16 full-time employees in my company we're a small company and it's not my goal to become a huge company but what i'm asking of people is mindful consumption and i think we need to and i'm i'm now getting ready to say something which is out of my depth and into yours so just please correct me if i'm wrong because you're an economist and i'm not but i believe that we need to decouple our our conditioned culture of, of measuring the health of economies and companies essentially by GDP. You know, uh, we, we, we measure the, the health of the world really with GDP, which is in essence measuring how great we're doing by our consumption. And we need to stop that. I'm, I'm not saying that it, sh- that it has no place but what I what I hope is it's not the only place, and so I, I I want us as entrepreneurs to begin asking these questions of where else can we measure the health of our companies and the well-being of the people we work with? How can we how can we begin to 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 focus on the importance of other metrics? And and do I of course I want more people to buy my chocolate bars? Yes, I do. But I don't need the whole world to buy my chocolate bars. I don't need the whole world to buy my book. I just want I, I want people to mindfully buy my chocolate bars and I'll have enough. I'll have enough money. We'll have enough. And same with my book. The right people, you know, can read it and hopefully be inspired by it. And that's it. I don't need more than that. I make a lot less money than I made as a criminal defense lawyer. A lot less. And I didn't know at the time how much less it was going to be, but it's, you know, I've done this for 12 years and I'm used to it now. And I put all of my savings, uh, our family savings, my wife and I, you know, in this business and it's, it's fine, but it could end tomorrow. 
and and I'm I'm very I'm very um, uh, mindful of the fact that this could all be over, and so I don't want to hold too tightly to it. And um, but what won't be over is the experience, um, as Joseph Campbell would say, of being alive. That's what this whole thing is about. Can can you and I give the people that we work with opportunities to experience what it means to be alive? Now, some would say, well, that's for religious people like myself. It would, might say it's you know the experience of divine union. Can that happen at work? Yes, it absolutely can happen at work. It's awesome. It doesn't happen every day and every minute. But it's the experience of being alive. It's the experience of divine union. It's the experience of complete joy. And we can do this at work. And, and, and when, we, when we begin to measure that as, as, as the real depth of what it means to discover our true selves, then we will uh, begin to minimize things like GDP. And I think we'll be a, a better world for it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 I think that you know it's such a great time to to be alive now. For at least one of the reasons is that the internet allows us to connect to really inspired um, entrepreneurs like yourself. There's also, you know, I just heard Gary Vaynerchuk yesterday talk about a little bit the same thing. Of you know, he doesn't need a mansion. He doesn't need a private jet. Uh, Jesse Isler and his wife um, Sarah Blakely are, are the same. You know, it, it's it's coming forward and I think, you know, I'm so grateful for you and, and others who, who really so authentically come forward and, you know, swim against the stream of, of greed and money and private jets and whatnot. And 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 really you know bear their heart on their sleeves and show that there is a way to do business that is different than perhaps mainstream understanding and it's to do good business good that's good for you that's good for your family that's good for the community for the farmers for the consumers and it's it's not all about the profits um but it is something it's it's a ride it's an adventure it's a joy that I guess you wouldn't trade in for anything else. <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't. Thank you for saying that. And I'm, I appreciate the chance you're giving me today to speak with your listeners. And I'm sure many of your listeners are, are fellow believers in this concept and philosophy that we're both discussing today. So that's a, it's a great opportunity. Well, before we go to the last question, because unfortunately the time on the podcast is always way too short, but before we go to the last question, may I ask you, Sean, to share with the listeners where they can find out more about your company, about your book, about your your projects, where they could perhaps connect with you? Sure, thanks. Well, the best place to get the book, as you said, is on Amazon. Um, and uh, just by searching my name, Sean Eskinosi, and Meaningful Work. And that, that's probably the best place. The best place to learn about our company is askinosi.com, A-S-K-I-N-O-S-I-E.com. And then I have a blog, uh, seanaskinosi.com, and uh, I have my email there so people can talk to me if they 
want to. And uh, it's not a huge blog. I probably have 100 followers, but that's great because those are the people who want to hear what I have to say. And and uh, those are the best places I'd say. And, of course, we have a Facebook presence and Instagram and those other social media platforms for asking us eat chocolate. But thanks for asking. Well, thanks for sharing this. And I really encourage um, listeners to go on your website because even just browsing through the packages of your cocoa and chocolate and chocolate bar is such such an experience because it's really tastefully done and beautiful. And, and you can even see on the packaging, you know, the whole philosophy. And it's so well-rounded with, you know, getting to understand the kind of behind the scenes. It really comes together as... As, as, a, as a wonderful whole. <laughs> well, thanks for saying that. And, uh, of course, the, um, the uh, compliment is not lost on me in the fact that I'm uh, here in an interview with someone living in Belgium, <laughs> you know, which is <laughs> the chocolate capital of the universe. Uh, we just need to make sure you can taste the chocolate. But I appreciate what you were saying about the way it looks and um, but that that uh, is not lost on me. So thanks for saying that. So um, coming to the last question, which is always the same here um, on the Work Life Hub podcast, where we try to really empower organizations and, and leaders in organizations. If, if I could ask you, Sean, to give an advice to a senior manager or a senior leader about perhaps helping, you know, their workforce find more meaning, find their calling make their work a bit more meaningful, what, what would you advise to them? I would advise the, what I mentioned about uh, Joseph Campbell suggesting that we are called to joyfully participate in the sorrows of the world. I would ask uh, leaders and managers this question of where does it hurt? And I know that that's hard, and I know it seems like that doesn't go with work, but I believe, as I said earlier in my depths, that this is a place we need to surrender to, we need to let go, and be willing to experience this notion of sorrow and, and, and delicately discuss it um, appropriately with the people that we lead and the people, our colleagues, because I, I believe that there are great things that lie ahead for us uh, spiritually, personally, professionally, when we can begin to explore the nooks and crannies of our broken hearts. Absolutely. And it just reminded me so much of, uh, well, not a very spiritual um, uh, quote, but, you know, um, uh, Poirot asks, <laughs> says in every Agatha Christie uh, a book that the truth has a way of coming out. And I also think that that's probably the same with sorrow, is that we can mask it for just as long, but it, it will, it has a tendency to come out in one way or another. So, you know, having such a, a leader or colleague or have this opportunity at work where you can actually go and explore and, and help bringing it out in a safe environment is, is could, could actually be a, a, a wonderful opportunity for anyone. Mm, thank you for saying that. Yes, I agree. I think, I think there's a lot there. I write about this in the book, how people at work can talk about these things delicately and how they can lead to, to uh, new and creative possibilities for the company. Well, thank you so much, uh, Sean, for, for, you know, really taking the time and, 
sharing so much of your uh, experience, your your inspiration, your journey, and your philosophy, your 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 faith. Um, I felt that this was a a really wonderful conversation, very empowering, very deep, and and it's just the kind of conversations we love to have on the Work Life Hub podcast. And I just really want to wish you the best of success and 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 50 more years for Askinosi chocolates. Mm, thank you. It's been an honor and I really appreciate your questions and and I hope that someday you can visit our little chocolate factory here in Springfield, Missouri. We would love to have you. With great pleasure. Thank you.